we really need in our lives. You know, often I don't even know what I need, but God does. And as long as I trust that God knows what I need, I need to be desperate for it. I need to approach Him and say, God, I don't know what you want to do, but here I am. All of me, without reservation, it's yours, God. Do your desired work in me. Have some prayer needs this morning. Continue to pray for, for Gary. Gary and Laura, Laura get to go on vacation this week. Man, I'm glad you get to go. I'm glad this whole mess didn't hold you back from doing what you want to do. But we're going to pray that God will give you a great time, and not just a great time, but that he'll continue to resuscitate and bring healing and strength to Gary's body. And continue to pray for Virginia. Ray, is Virginia here this morning? She's so little I sometimes can't see her. But continue to pray for her. Continue to pray for Virginia. Virginia Hibbs, we missed you last week. Hope you're feeling better. Uh, continue to pray for you. Continue to pray for Tara. Tara is going through some physical issues that we really can't uh, get a handle on what's causing it, but God knows. Amen? And uh, continue to pray, of course, for Mary Jane Salaska, that the Lord would continue to strengthen her. Do you believe in the power of prayer this morning? If you have a need, I want you to raise your hand way up high where everybody can see it. Way up high. Come on now, if you have a need. Okay. Look around a little bit while those hands are still raised way up high. And I want you to just take the hand of someone whose hand is raised. And we're going to pray. We're going to agree together that God will touch and bring whatever they need. Heavenly Father, this morning we come to you because you are our source. You are our supply. You are our strong Savior this morning, and there is nothing, nothing that is impossible for you. In fact, you tell us in your word, Lord, that you delight in doing what we think to be impossible. And Lord, I don't have any idea what every need that these hands represented this morning, but you do, God, and you know what needs to take place in each and every situation. So, Lord, I pray for the answers that we seek this morning. And, Lord, we thank you in advance for what you're going to do. And, Lord, as is, as is the scriptural practice, when we come to your throne, Lord, first of all, we thank you for all that you have done. So many blessings that you provided for so many people in so many ways. We thank you for it, Jesus. But Lord, we also come to you this morning corporately, Lord, and we ask for your forgiveness. Lord, forgive our nation. Forgive our nation for making laws and putting laws into place that kill babies. God, forgive us for that. God, I wish I could repent on behalf of the people who put those laws in place. But Lord, all we can do is, is repent as, as people of this great nation. Forgive us, Lord. God, I can't imagine a baby being born and knowing that 
if the mom decided one minute before birth that that child's life could be taken. God, forgive us. Forgive us, Jesus. Restore your blessing to America, God. You've said that if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and heal their land. God, we need your healing in our land today. And so, Lord, let let the forgiveness and the repentance start here in your house. God, we pray for our leaders that you would give them a change of heart. That you would cause them to seek your wisdom, Lord, in making decisions that impact millions of people in the country in which they rule. And so, God, we pray for them that they would once again turn to you and seek your face seek your ways and Lord for those of us here today I just I pray dear God that your blessing would be upon us Lord as we do our very best to walk in obedience to you Lord as that song said we want to be more like you we want to be more like you we want to emulate you in each and every thing that we say and do in the way that we act So God, help us with that. Fill us with your spirit to guide us and direct us and to clean us up. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. 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 Greet somebody. I let you sit down first, didn't I? I forgot to tell you that. You're all sitting there wait to greeting, waiting to greet one another. You must have needed the exercise. As you find your way to your seats, thank you for being here. Thank you for your faithfulness to the house of the Lord. It's always good to be with church family, Amen. There's no better people to hang out with than God's people. I believe that. Well, we are in part two of our sermon series. And Jamie, I still really like those, those banners. Those are, those are really cool. We're in this sermon series that we're calling What a Disciple Looks Like. Last week, we, we looked to Hebrews chapter number 12, the first two verses of that chapter. And uh, if you'll remember, my theme was becoming more like Jesus what a disciple is supposed to do. We talked about the fact that a disciple's hero is to be none other than Jesus himself, and because he's the one that we ought to desire to be like. And again, not to repeat what I said last Sunday, but you know, we, have, we are living in a world where people uh, like to have role models. Not all the role models that our young people are seeking to place as role models in their life are really good role models. Uh, there's really only one really, really perfect role model, and that's Jesus. And if we can do our best to make our lives emulate his, uh, that's what the role of a disciple is all about. Now, 
We also discussed the need to set priorities around that goal of becoming like Jesus, seeking purity in our daily lives, uh, surrendering daily to allowing God to use whatever he deems necessary to build Christ-likeness, a Christ-like character, if you will, in us, even if it means that in the course of that we're made uncomfortable. Uh, We live in a nation, we live in a world, I guess, that is into comfort. We even name our furniture around our comfort desire. Lazy boy. We like for things to be comfortable and within, more specifically said, within our comfort zones. God wants to get us out of our comfort zones. He wants us to take steps of faith. And the only way that we can do that is to become more like Jesus. Uh, Jesus wasn't confined by being comfortable. The Bible says that the Son of Man, when he was here, could not even have a, did not even have a place he called home where he could lay his head at night. He wasn't concerned about comfort. He was concerned about making people like himself his disciples. You see, a disciple, a follower of Jesus has a hope that sustains him or her, come what may, and that hope, our hope is Christ-likeness. Can I just say this to you? The hope of this world is that the people of God start acting like Jesus. That got a rousing round of amens. The hope of this world, friends, is that the people of God start acting like Jesus. You'd be amazed what a difference it would make in our world if we'd start treating unsaved people like Jesus treated unsaved people. Yeah, they were in opposition to him, but he loved them. He loved them into his kingdom. His love was what changed them. And it's our love that will change the face of this world that we live in. So this Christ-likeness deal is, is not something I'm talking about just so I can have some added preaching material. This is, this is a huge topic, friends, that we start acting like and talking like and being like Jesus. Every day that we live, 24 hours a day. Now when the Bible speaks of this idea of hope, it doesn't use the word hope like we often use it. We use the word hope to speak of how we hope it's going to rain soon. Or or how we hope it doesn't snow anymore. Or, Or how we hope our team, our favorite team, will win the game. You see, when we use the word hope today, we're talking about something that may or may not happen. But the Bible uses the word hope in a much different way. When the Bible speaks of hope, it's referring to a confident assurance, a truth, a certainty. A certainty. That's what the Bible believes about hope. That it's a certainty that that will sustain us no matter what comes against us. So you have to understand that a 
That a disciple is one who lives with this same kind of confident assurance. What's my assurance? My assurance today is that my eternal destiny is going to be with Jesus and someday I'm going to be like Jesus. That's my hope. I possess this hope because I profess faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior. And secondly, we can have the confident assurance or hope because of what God has predetermined for those of us who are his children. Go with me to the book of Romans chapter number 8. We'll have it on our screen if you have the Bible app on your phone. You can go to the events tab, hit events, it'll pull up Trinity Faith Church, click on that and you'll have my sermon notes right in front of you. Romans chapter number 8, it's a great chapter, probably the most theologically significant chapter in the entire Word of God. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in, let's, let's start with verse number 28. I quoted this for you last week, but... It's really the premise of everything that we're going to talk about. Paul says, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. Those who are called according to his purpose. But then Paul goes on to say, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son." so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. And then you come to verse number 31. Wow, what happened? All of a sudden I became hollow on the inside, it sounded like. He goes to verse number 31 and he says, What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? That's a confident assurance right there. If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, Paul is making it very clear here that Christ-likeness is the eternal destiny of every child of God, and that that part of the blessedness of eternity, as I said earlier, is that we're going to be just like Jesus. Turn to your neighbor out there and say, someday you're going to be like Jesus. Hey, there you go. Believe it or not, someday some of you are going to be just like Jesus. I, I should have said some of us are going to be just like Jesus. That's a confident hope that the Bible gives us. And then Paul tells us that just as surely as God foresaw the day of our conversion, he's also said that he foresees the day when we'll be like Jesus in every way. And this is something that God had predetermined for each of his children even before we chose to trust Christ as our Savior. This is what... This, don't be confused by this verse. These four verses that I just read from you in Romans chapter number 8, there has been more theological debate about what these four verses mean than any four other four verses in the entire Word of God. 
There are some in the world of Christianity today who believe that what Paul is saying in verse number 30, 29 and 30 says, well, God already knows who's going to come to him in saving faith. So what's the use of trying? That's not what it means. We already know what God thinks about souls. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So when it says predetermined or or predestined, don't get caught up in the debate about that, folks. God wants everybody to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. He knows that not everyone will, but his desire is that he wants to, wants people to. Now, Again, I just quoted 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 9. The Lord is not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. And this is what Paul's referring to when he says that Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren. This is a reference, my friends, to the stated plan that God has for the entire universe. You see, the Bible tells us that one day God is going to make everything new. You believe that? Revelations chapter 21, verse number 5. The one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making all things new. New heaven. New earth. New us. Now, I want you to notice something. In this passage, the Apostle Peter from 2 Peter chapter number 3 goes on to say, In verse number 13, based on his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness will dwell. Wow. Did you catch that? Let me give you my translation of that verse. Based on what Jesus has promised to us, we are waiting on a new heaven, a new earth, where everyone will be right with God And all will be right with the world. What's wrong with you people this morning? (laughs) You have something in your throat? Is that what's going on? Based on what God has promised, (laughs) everyone will be right with God, and everything in the world will be right. Okay. What it's saying, friends, is that God is going to one day reverse all the effects of sin in this universe. Including, including, and even more importantly, the sin in the lives of those of us who are considered to be the redeemed. He's going to make a new creation, and followers of Jesus, those of us who are his disciples are part of the new creation that God's going to bring about. That's why the Apostle Paul could say with a confident assurance in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Old things have passed away. And all things have become new. And all of that leads us to yet another reason for this assurance, this hope that every follower of Jesus is going to be one day like him. 
We have this assurance because of how God perceives us as his children. Look at verse number 30 of that 8th chapter of Romans. It says, those he justified... I didn't know if that was my brain rattling or if I heard a phone. Those he justified, he also glorified. Our Heavenly Father now sees every one of us who have come to him through faith in Jesus as being one with Jesus. That means, are you ready for this, that what is true of Jesus is also true of us. Heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Friends, we need to start understanding who we are in Christ Jesus. What is true of Jesus is also true of us. This is the basis of how God accepts us. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 6, He favored us with the beloved, within the beloved. Are you ready for a translation of this from Terry? Here it is. God looks at us through Jesus-colored glasses. God looks at us through Jesus-colored glasses. When he sees us, he sees the blood of his son, Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm glad he doesn't see Terry for who Terry was. He sees me for who Terry is in Christ Jesus. My sins are forgiven. His blood has cleansed me from all unrighteousness. I'm not who I used to be. Thank God I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. Okay. In addition, it's the basis of our assurance concerning eternity. Ephesians chapter number 2. Verse 4, but God who is abundant in mercy because of his great love that he had for us made us alive with the Messiah even though we were dead in trespasses. By grace you are saved. He also raises us up with him and seats us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. How do I know that I one day will be with Jesus and like Jesus? Because of this, as far as God is concerned, it's already a done deal. It's already determined. Verse 30 then goes on to say of how God pursued us as his children. Those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. Paul is speaking here of the fact that every one of us who have been justified. Let's stop at that word justified for just a second in case you're not fully aware of what it means. I grew up hearing... That this idea of justification that God provides for us makes us, in God's eyes, as though we've never sinned. Have you ever heard that? Just as if I've never sinned. Justification. It's wrong. Because it's much better than that. It's this. Because I have sinned. And because I've accepted the saving blood of Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, my sins, are, which were many, are forgiven. And I am now justified in the sight of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's not like you never sinned. It's like you did sin, but Jesus had a cure for your sin. It's a work that's completed by God and God alone. God sought us. God pursued us. He 
called us, and He has saved us. Now, there's a sense in which God calls everybody. Matter of fact, Paul says in Acts, or Dr. Luke says in Acts chapter number 17, verse number 30, that God commands all people everywhere to repent. This is the message that the Apostle Paul preached wherever he went to both Jews and Greeks about repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, as I said earlier, not all who are called will respond and repent. So what does Paul mean when he says and refers to the called in verses 28 and 30 of Romans chapter number 8? He's speaking of those of us who have chosen to repent and to believe in Jesus Christ. He makes that very clear for us in 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, verses 23 and 24. Paul says, but we preach Christ crucified. Now listen to this. A stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is God's power and God's wisdom. Don't fool yourself, friends. Before you became a believer in Jesus Christ as Savior, you thought all of this stuff that we do in church is foolishness. But when it really hit home with you was when Jesus forgave you. He washed your sins, which were scarlet, as white as the driven snow. And he made you, gave you a clean slate. Your past was forgotten. And all of a sudden it occurred to you, whoa, whoa, that really means something. It, it, it means something in my life. It might have looked like foolishness before, but man, I'm sure glad I accepted it now. Because I'm a new creation in Christ. Notice that in this passage, Paul preaches Christ to Jews and Gentiles without preference. So in that sense, all are called. But hear me on this. That's not the sense in which Paul uses the word here. He says that out from among those who hear the general call are those who are the called. The difference is that those who are called in this narrower sense of the word stop regarding Christ as being a stumbling block or foolishness and instead, they begin to regard him as the power of God and the wisdom of God. They choose by faith to respond to the call to repent and believe on Jesus as Savior. Why, why am I spending so much time dwelling on this point? It's because I want us to understand that if we're truly saved, we understand that it didn't come about because of our efforts. It came about entirely because of God's effort. We didn't pursue him. He pursued us. And for the purposes of my message today, the point is that just as God pursued us in order to bring us to Christ, he's now pursuing us to make us more like Christ. He sent his Holy Spirit to live inside of us and to to clean us up from the inside out. Now, I remember I just said a few minutes ago, when you were saved, you were a new creation. Right? We'll, we believe that. But there's still some junk in our lives, even after we're saved. How many of you figured that out by now? There's still some junk in our lives that needs to be made more Christ-like. We're saved. Our ticket's punched for heaven. In God's eyes, it's a done deal. We're going we're gonna to live in heaven in eternity. 
But for the remainder of our time here, however much that is, God wants us to work on becoming more like Jesus. And he sent his Holy Spirit, the paraclete, to come along inside of us and to help us with that endeavor. And I don't know about you, but I know for me, there's a lot in me that still doesn't look like Jesus in a lot of ways. A lot that the Holy Spirit needs my permission and my cooperation with him to do the desired work that he wants to do. Now, I fully realize that to this point in this message, some of you may be bored by this Theology 101 that I'm giving you. But it's hugely important for us to understand that which will be true of you and me in eternity can also be experienced in our lives today. Oh, we're not going to be in heaven. We're not going to be perfect. But we'll be a lot more than what we are if we'll allow the Holy Spirit to do His desired work. For example, this is possible by virtue of God's providential work in your life and mine. Go back to that first verse that we read in Romans 8. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. Now, I desperately this morning want each of us to hear and believe me when I tell you on the authority of the Word of God that we can be certain that God can use every, say every, every experience of our lives to make us more like Jesus. Now, what are you saying when you say every experience? You're saying every experience. The good ones, thank God for them. The bad ones, eh, no. Not eh, thank God for them. Because even God can take those bad ones. He works all things together for the good of those who love God. Practical terms, what that mean? Well, Gary, here's one thing that it means. That diagnosis from the doctor that has the potential to take your life, God's using it. He's using the process to not only bring his healing to you, But healing of your physical needs, your emotional needs, the changes in your life, the pain, the anxiety to make you more like Jesus. Oh, and I'm not just going to single out Gary. I've got to go on. That financial drought that you may be going through, that dedication that you have to fully rely on and trust in God as never before is going to serve to make you more like Jesus. Those marriage difficulties that have even perhaps resulted in divorce, all the pain that you have endured, all the worry, all the anxiety about how your children are being affected by all this turmoil, God is going to use all of these unfortunate circumstances. And trials to make you more like Jesus, Ashley. I'm praying for you. God can do it. All your frustration, 
all your impatience, your worry, your struggles, your doubts, your fears, your disappointments. God can use all those things to make you more like Jesus. God works by divine providence to bring about what is best for His children in order to make them more like Jesus. You know, I've mentioned it previously, but becoming like Jesus is the key to experiencing the joy and the blessing that God has in mind for us to know in this life. Do you believe that? Joy and blessing, as hard as this may sound, and as hard as this may be to believe, joy and blessing can be ours regardless of the circumstances that we are facing. What is providence, you may be wondering? It's not just a city in Rhode Island. Providence comes from the words pro, which means before, and video, which means to see. Therefore, the word providence means that God sees before. God sees beforehand all the details, all the plans for our lives. And he responds accordingly. <laughs> this hit me like a ton of bricks this week and I was preparing this. God, our God is so great that he weaves together the choices of millions of human beings and the correlating causes and effects of those choices and he blends them together to accomplish his purposes for our lives. Can I just say this? I'm going to sit down and have a little talk with you for a little bit. <clears throat> I've made some really dumb choices in my life. Aren't you going to say, well, I know. I've made some really dumb choices that have resulted in some really unfortunate, painful consequences. Not just for me, but for many of those that I love. And so have you. But our God's so great. He can take all of our dumb decisions. All of those painful consequences. The hurt that some of my decisions have brought to people's lives. God can take all of those and make not only me more like Jesus, but even those that have experienced those consequences along with me. He can make them more like Jesus. I don't know about you, but that's a great God. Who else can do that? You know, I, some of the choices I've made, and when I, when I see the consequences start playing themselves out in the lives of the people I care about, what do I do? I try to do everything I can to minimize the effect, right? Well, I don't have the power to do that. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. 
That's a law that I can't change. As much as I'd like to change that for my purposes, that is a universal law that God has put in place. We are going to reap the consequences of our choices. God understands that, but then God takes it a step further. He says, here's what I'm going to do. Terry, if you surrender your life to me, I can take all that stuff. And I can work it together to make you more like Jesus. Hallelujah. Do you understand the magnitude of what I'm saying to you, friends? God God can't change the consequences. He can't eliminate the consequences, but He can take them. And somehow, in a way that only He can do, He can... Weave them all together and the ultimate outcome will be me looking more and acting more like Jesus. What a blessing that is. What a blessing. You know, I've always thought it to be remarkable that this 8th chapter of Romans, it's actually one one of the goriest chapters in the New Testament. Look, if you go on down... We, we ended up, when he ended up earlier in verse number 31, Paul asking the question, what then are we to say about these things? What things is he talking about? Well, he's getting ready to tell you. Because he goes on to say, in verse number 35, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction, or anguish, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword... Now, those are pretty gory things. And he he says, in the midst there, he says, because of you, and he's speaking of Jesus, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. That's pretty gory, right? But over that gory painting of a life that's lived for Jesus... Paul splatters the word hope. And he does it with a big brush that's covered with red blood. <laughs> Hallelujah. He takes all of those things that can, that can have the potential to separate us and to cast us down. And he paints it with verse number 37. He says, no. In all these things... We are more than victorious. I like the other translation of that verse, the way I learned it. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Why do I like that? Affliction, anguish, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword, they're not just defeated. They are more than defeated. God turns each and every one of those things into instruments that He uses for our good. Wow. Again, this is only possible for disciples of Jesus who lovingly surrender their lives to God to let Him work. And when I say let Him work, let me add this to it, to let Him work however He sees fit to work. To bless them. 
by making them more like Jesus. Let me close. I've got to close with another in- illustration from my infinite supply of Peanuts comic strips. The circumstances of life often speak to us, I believe, like Lucy one day spoke to Charlie Brown. Lucy said to Charlie Brown, Sometimes, Charlie, I feel like we are not communicating. You, Charlie Brown, are a foul ball in the line drive of life. You're often in the shadow of your own goalpost. You're a miscue. You're a three-putt on the 18th green, Steve. You're a 7-10 split in the 10th frame. Charlie Brown, you've dropped your rod and reel in the lake of life. You're a missed free throw. That was intended for you, Carla. (laughs) You're a shanked nine iron. You're a cold third strike. Charlie Brown, you're nothing more than a bug on the windshield of life. Do you understand, Charlie Brown? Have I made myself clear? She closes. My reason for using that is, any of you ever feel like Charlie Brown? I think we all have. If you, like I have from time to time, let me encourage you by saying that the disciple of Jesus Christ considers that which he is confidently assured of. The Bible calls it hope, but actually it's confident assurance that we will be like Christ one day and that as we lovingly surrender to God, we can be blessed by becoming more like Christ today in the here and now. Musicians, would you come please? Our reply, if you will, to the Lucy's of our lives should be the same as that of the Apostle Paul in verse 31 of Romans 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? Let's stand to our feet. Say that with me. Say that not to me. Say it to God. God, if you are for me, Who can be against me? You know, in light of the the assurance that it's our eternal destiny to one day be just like Jesus, and in light of today's message that says it can be our daily experience to know the blessing of becoming more like Jesus even in this life, as a disciple, I have to daily remember the eternal destiny that awaits me as a child of God then I have to recommit myself to seeing that destiny fulfilled in my earthly experience. Living for Jesus every day. I have to see that every day. And then I have to respond to every challenge that life throws at me with this affirmation. God is for me. Come on now. Say it. God is is for me. Do you believe that this morning? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Lord Jesus, 
there's no way in the world I can I can produce the same excitement that this passage that we shared from this morning causes in me. And the reason for that, Jesus, is because I've experienced it as much as anyone, if not more, in this room. I've made some dumb choices. I've reaped some difficult consequences, and I'm still reaping them in many ways. But knowing that now, because I belong to you and you belong to me, you're using all of that stuff to make me more like you, Jesus. That excites me. It excites me, Lord. And I want each of us in this room to have that same confident assurance before they leave this place this morning. So Holy Spirit, would you move through this congregation even at this moment? Would you speak to hearts at this moment and help people to believe that you can bring to them that confident assurance that everything that they're going through, if they love you, if they become a child of God, a disciple, that you're going to work all of that thing, stuff together for their good. Would you do that in this moment, Holy Spirit, with your eyes ba- closed, heads bowed this morning? I know that probably on some superficial level, we've all heard this and, and believed it before. What I'm asking you to do this morning is to take the longest journey that many of us ever take, and it's this. Look up at me for just a second. The longest journey from what you know superficially to what you know that you know that you know in your heart. What is it, 18 inches? Some of us more, some of us less. But it's a long journey. I want you to take what you thought in your head And bring it to your heart this morning. Again, heads bowed, eyes closed. You're here this morning and say, Pastor, I'm in one of two categories. Maybe both. One, I've made some stupid choices. Two, I'm experiencing some difficult consequences as a result of those choices. I confess that to you this morning, Jesus, but I'm confessing it for this purpose. I want to leave this place this morning knowing with confident assurance that all of those things, my bad choices, the consequences that result from them, you are working to make me more like your son, Jesus. Raise your hand right now. All over this room, there are hands going up. Leave them up. Leave them up. You're not showing me. You're showing Jesus. He's the one that can give you the confident assurance, not me. Lord, you see every hand that's raised. God, that tells me that there's a lot of people in this room just like me. 
And Lord, there's a lot of people in this room that need to feel the same excitement and joy and blessing that you brought to my life from understanding, God, that making those bad choices, experiencing those consequences, that is not the last part of the story. The last part of the story is that you, I love God, and because of that, you're working all things together for my good. Now begin to praise him this morning. Praise him because he's bringing that to you to right at this very moment. He's bringing that to you.